0: you probably never compared yourself to a billionaire before. You probably just wanted what a billionaire has. This morning, I think for a moment, though, we could probably compare ourselves to America's first billionaire. I think if we look at the life of John D. Rockefeller, America's first billionaire, there's a lesson for us, and in a way, we really compare well to his life. This man made a lot of money. At age 33, he made his first million dollars and then it just went up really, really fast from there until he was the first billionaire. Yet, he had serious problems at the age 53. He became sick, deathly sick. He was basically living on crackers and milk. Doctors basically said, you don't think you're going to live past age 54. He was in bad shape. So here is a man richest in America, who has everything, literally, yet crackers and milk, basically living as though he has nothing. When people looked at him physically, he was feeble. He actually lost hair, and he would use fake hair to make himself look stronger than what he was. But here's the first billionaire who in reality is feeble. He's very, very weak. Here, the problem with John D. Rockefeller was this. He had everything. He didn't know how to allocate what he already had. He had everything. He did not know how to allocate what he had. In the middle of his time of being really down, he had a dream. A vision. He describes it, however you want to describe it, from God. And God basically said to him, in one way or another, "Hey, I gave you this wealth so you could give it away." Next day, woke up, went to his board, his team, whatever, and said, "Hey, start the Rockefeller Foundation. Let's give much, as much as way we can to hospitals, universities, and and churches." John D. Rockefeller lived until he was. Ninety-eight. No other explanation about his change in his health. He was feeble because of the anxiety, the depression, and the sorrow in his own heart. And it was affecting him physically. Here's a man who had everything, but was very weak. At that point, had no hope and no strength and it was being evidenced in his life. This morning, I think the majority of us can relate as Christians that many times we are weak with no strength. The world could look at many of our lives and say, you are feeble. Not only us as individuals, but the church as a whole. Many people would look at the church right now and say, the church is feeble and weak. There's no hope, and there's very little strength. Well, this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23, we're getting a little bit of insight from the prayer of the Apostle Paul, potentially why it is that we're struggling with our weakness and no strength. And it's very similar to John D. Rockefeller. And here it is You and I have everything, we just have not allocated it. You and I have everything. We just have not allocated it. Last week we started in Ephesians chapter 1, and let me summarize for you really quickly. The first couple of verses in Ephesians 1 was this. It was a declaration that God is awesome. So all we did last week was say, God, you are amazing. God, you are the origin of our faith. You are the source of our faith, and you are the goal of our faith. And if you recall, in Ephesians 1, there was one phrase that happened 11 times in Christ, in him. So it's just this declaration that in Christ we have everything. So the letter of Ephesians starts by us being reminded that you have everything. Well, if we have everything, why are we so weak? Why do we have no strength? Why is there so much hopelessness? It's because we have not allocated it. And so after that declaration that we have everything in our reading from today, verses 15 through 23, the Apostle Paul here is just saying, hey, I'm just going to pray for you. And so then we get a glimpse into what the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. This is really cool on one hand because we believe that the Bible was inspired by God. that that all of the words contained in the Bible, we believe that God through his Holy Spirit actually spoke through a human being. So that this is the Apostle Paul that's writing this letter, but actually it's God writing the letter through him. That's why we make such a big deal out of the Bible. It's not because the Apostle Paul was the writer, but because God was the author. That's why we use the Bible every Sunday. And so what's really cool about this prayer is this. The Apostle Paul is the mechanism or the messenger for the prayer, but the author of the prayer is God. This is God actually praying. So it gives us a glimpse into the heart of God, of what God wants his leaders to be praying for his people. And check out what the Apostle Paul prays for his people. Let's dig in here into the prayer. Verses 18, start there in verse 18. He basically says, have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying, "Hey, hey, I pray that these people would have hope. I want them to be make. I want them to know. Hearts enlightened is really another terminology for. I want it to be revealed to them. I want their hearts to be open and for them to understand how much hope they have." And then it just continues on. Verse 18, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So the whole opening of the prayer is this. God, awaken these people to the hope they have because of the inheritance that they have. The Apostle Paul's basically saying, help them recognize what they already own. Help them recognize what they already own. This last week, it was pretty chilly at times. And so... Um, I was carrying my gloves with me most of the time, and so I was carrying my gloves with me most of the time. The problem with the gloves is my, my keys don't exactly work And I'm wearing my gloves because I can't push any of the buttons because one of the kids dropped the key and the buttons broke, so I have to kind of push in like this. Long story. Anyhow, so it doesn't really work to wear gloves because then I can't unlock the things so and I got to take my gloves off, get my thing, blah, blah, blah. so anyhow, I just carry the gloves with me. And so this last week I was walking into a meeting, I was just like, wow, it's really cold, and the guy looks at me and goes... Well, why aren't you wearing your gloves? Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> what a concept. Use what you own. Do you realize this morning what you own? Do you realize this morning the inheritance that you have? This is what the Apostle Paul is writing that, wow, God, make them aware of the inheritance. The inheritance is this, eternal resurrected body, peace and joy in the presence of God. This is your inheritance. It's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, hey, make them aware of what they have. Make them own it. We need this. Because as one pastor said, we are hope-based creatures. We are hope-based creatures. I was in a training for the law enforcement one day uh, talking about the issue of um, just handling difficult situations, working with people that were maybe on the edge of making a, a very bad decision. And, and the trainer, who's, who's not a Christian, who would be considered kind of um, a corporate a corporate psycholo- psychologist, was, was doing the training. And he said something very interesting that has stuck with me. He said, when you're working with these individuals who are about to make a bad choice or anything in life, Here's his words, not mine, a non-Christian. Everything depends on having hope. Everything depends on having hope. Here's a non-Christian that recognizes a clear teaching of the Bible that without hope, bad things will happen. You and I are hope-based creatures. We depend upon hope, that expectation that something good is happening. How much does it affect your work ethic when you know that nothing good can come of it? Right? You don't work harder, you work less. But there's an expectation and a confidence that, oh, this is going to be amazing. You work harder. right? If a farmer is told, hey, want to let you know, it's not going to rain at all from May 1st to October 1st. Not at all, not going to rain at all. How excited do you think that farmer is going to be to burn diesel and put seed in the ground in the month of April? Most, I would think, unless there's an issue, are not going to put the seed in the ground at all, right? Because there's no expectation of a crop. When there's no expectation of good, hopelessness, bad stuff happens. That's why the Apostle Paul is praying here, saying, hey, these people, God, make them aware of what they have. We do this with our kids all the time, right? I mean, how else do you get anyone, kids and adults, to eat vegetables, right? So what do you say? There's frozen Kit Kats in the freezer, and they're all yours if you just eat this nasty stuff right here, right? And so why do you do it? Why do you do it? You're not eating it for that. You're eating it for the Kit Kat in the freezer. There's hope driving the present behavior. It happens to all of us. If you're struggling today, it's because there's no hope for tomorrow. And the Apostle Paul is praying, God, make them aware. Let, remind them of the riches of his glorious inheritance. Let them know what they already have. Today, what you have in Christ is this. Let me remind you really quickly from last week's sermon. You have the forgiveness of your sins. In him, the redemption. The second thing that you have in Christ is you have the inheritance of the resurrection, of imperishable, undefiled life for eternity. What we have here is not all that we get. That's your glorious inheritance. And here's what's crazy. It's so important to catch this. The Apostle Paul's prayer here does not pray for a change of circumstance. This is interesting. We don't have time to go into this today because the Vikings play at three. However, um, (laughs) there's no prayer here or any prayer from the Apostle Paul for the people's circumstances to change. Now, you might be saying, well, right, because they had it made. They didn't have it made at all. They were being persecuted. They were in difficult situations. There's no prayer that they'd get a nicer building to meet in as a church. There's no prayer that the government officials would lessen up on the pressure regarding preaching. What's all of the prayer? All of the prayer is what? Strength and hope. That their inner being, we're going to see that when we get to Ephesians chapter 3, that their inner being would be strengthened. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray about circumstances. That's not the point. But the point is, though, there's something greater that's above the circumstance. Because guess what? Even if the circumstance changes, guess what's coming tomorrow? Another circumstance. So the Apostle Paul wants to pray for this strength, this hope that will endure any circumstance. We are hope-based creatures, and that begins by understanding what we have. The second thing that the Apostle Paul prays for here is in verse 19. He says, what is, is," in other words, he's saying, I pray that they would understand that they have immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Kind of an interesting phrase. It doesn't flow together greatly, but there's a bunch of words packed together here that are really similar, immeasurable greatness and power. The Apostle Paul's, again, just trying to emphasize this idea of, hey, God, God, Make them aware of the strength that they have. God, remind them of the power that they have because you've given it to them. You and I, without Christ, have no power. This last week, that wind was nasty. And so I went out and I thought I'd start to shovel a little bit, and that wind was blowing. When I started to shovel. All I do is go like this, throw the snow up, and where's the snow come? Right back. Something like, Wife can drive through the drifts, leave the drifts on the driveway. Because what? you got no power against that wind. You've got no power without Christ. Not one person has been able to overcome evil. Not one person has been able to overcome death. No one has even claimed to overcome those two things. But Christ, as it describes here, has been placed above and over evil, and that Christ has overcome death. The resurrection of his dead. And so, in other words, the Apostle Paul is saying here God, give them their strength to keep them focused on the power that they have in Jesus, that they've got power over the two biggest issues, evil and death. We're not feeble at all, we're strong because we have Jesus who's overcome the two greatest enemies, evil and death. Now now here's the crazy thing, and again, this could be a big rabbit trail, but please see this in Ephesians chapter 1 here. Look with me down at verse 21. Talking about Jesus here of where he's at. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. We don't use that language very often. It's describing that Jesus is above spiritual forces that exist. The book of Ephesians is written with an underlying assumption that we all understand that there's the here, the physical, but there's a second dimension to everything. That dimension is the heavenly places where Christ has been seated. And there's a war going on in the heavenly dimension. Now, this makes some of us really uncomfortable, right? Because you can't prove this by science. You can't You can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it. And and we know that people get a little weird sometimes when we start talking about spirits and demonic activity. The reality is this. A denial of demonic activity is a denial of Jesus Christ himself. A denial of demonic activity is a denial of Jesus Christ himself. If you deny the activity of demons and spirits, you have to look at this Bible as just a joke as one pastor puts it a comic strip because Jesus' ministry was based upon what? exorcism releasing people from demons and there's no demonic activity man a lot of this just goes away as made up material to make someone famous don't don't look at me as I'm the goofy one here open your Bible Take it up with Jesus. It's right there. There's demonic activity around us. Here's the amazing thing what the Apostle Paul says here, and I think this is so important to catch because everybody gets caught up now, right? Because everybody's like, oh, pastor, let's dig into the demonic activity. Help us understand it and explain it. It's kind of like the book of Revelation, right? Everybody kind of wants to study it because it's exciting, and so everybody shows up for that, but then you just kind of want to know about it. You don't want to get into it. Okay, demonic activity, there's very little said about it except these big statements that it exists, and then the other one is this, that Jesus has conquered it, and Jesus has authority over it. Why is that? Because I would contend that God doesn't want us spending our time wondering and question if there's a demon under every rock, but wants us focusing our time on the fact that we already have victory in Jesus Christ. And so if there's the possibility of demonic activity. We simply have to say, we simply have to declare that in Christ, you have no power over me, Satan. And the power of that, what we've got to do is we've got to remind ourselves of what Jesus has said. His truth is what gives us power over Satan activity. This is real stuff. It's not just crazy people living on the side of the streets kind of going, ooh, like this, okay? There's demonic activity in the boardroom downtown Sioux Falls. There's demonic activity next door at Avera Hospital. There's demonic activity in every home represented in this room. Now some people are like, whoa, this guy is goofy. No, 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 no. We take the Bible seriously. And the Bible teaches that there is a spiritual realm that's at work. And we don't understand it, and we can't dictate it. We don't get into this game of playing with the spirits. Here's where we stand. We stand and we say, we recognize it, and we fight it with the truth of Jesus Christ because he's already defeated it. But we've got to have awareness to it. One of the reasons we don't have strength today is because we don't recognize that Jesus has authority over it, and we don't fight Satan. Satan wants us in one of two places, giving him all of the credit or completely ignoring him so he can go on with his work doing whatever he wants. We need to acknowledge that Satan exists at the exact same time, not get caught up in it, not spend all of our time speculating on it, simply acknowledging that there's lies out there, he's at work, but we listen to the truth of Jesus and we claim the victory of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is praying today that you would have hope. No matter what your circumstance, you would remember what you have an imperishable inheritance. The Apostle Paul is praying today that you would have strength in Jesus Christ. And then finally, the Apostle Paul gives us this amazing reminder that is so critical to entering into hope and strength. So many of us are feeble Christians because we don't remember who we are. Look with me down here in Ephesians one. Verse 23, three, four words, just pure power. Verse 23, we got to look at the one word before verse 23. It says this, church, which is his body. Church, which is his body. Underline, is his body. How many of you this morning have a pretty good picture in your head what church is? How many of you have a head picture in your head this morning of what you want church to be? And how many of you this morning, if I asked what that was, would point to a building? We've got to redefine and re-understand what church is. And here's the amazing thing. And this just, this elevates church to a place of importance that I can't emphasize enough. Because what is the church? The church is the body of Christ church is not a building. The church is not a 501c3 recognized by the IRS. The church is not a business. The church is a living, breathing group of people who are the body of Christ here on earth. How crazy is that? How big does that elevate you today? You're not just sitting down here on earth and God's like, well, I got some representatives down there on my behalf. No, 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 no. You're the body of Jesus, because you've probably noticed that Jesus isn't here. Jesus isn't here, but guess what? It's actually better that he's not, because his body is here, which encompasses all around the whole globe this morning, empowered by the living spirit. Do you realize the big deal that church is? Church isn't a big deal because of buildings that we build or programs that we have. Church is a big deal because of who we are. We are the body of Christ. Therefore, therefore, are we doing the work of Jesus? If if church, the very definition of church is the gathering, the body of Christ, by definition, we're only the church when we're doing the work of Jesus. Did you catch that? If the church is the body of Christ, the mission then of the church is the mission of Jesus. And we're only the church when we're doing the work of Jesus. So often, and I'm so guilty of this as well, so often in the church, that which is driving the agenda is comfort and tradition. Comfort and tradition. Most of the times we do what we do in the church because we've always done it that way or because that's what we know church to be, right? For example, pastor, why don't we have egg bake on Easter anymore? <laughs> pastor, every church has egg bake on Easter. Pa- pastor, we're just not being a very good church lately, pastor. I mean, every church has Starbucks coffee. (laughs) How do we come up with those things? We come up with those things by our experiences or by our preferences. What we have to ask is this. What we're requesting of the church, would it be demanded by Jesus? Is what we're requesting of the church, would it be demanded by Jesus? We should request of the church what would be demanded by Jesus because the church is the body of Christ. So if you want to have a great church experience, if you want to have a great church experience, here's what you need to look for. You need to look where the activity of Jesus is taking place and join in. That's going to be a great church experience, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty at all because guess what? There's people involved. And the body of Christ is is made up of of preachers, teachers, bankers, male people, whatever, made up of all sorts of people. And all of those people are broken. All of those people need all of the one another's taught in the Bible, accountability, encouragement, forgiveness, kindness, all of that stuff. So it's going to be messy. It's not an in-and-out deal. I can't just show up, part of the organization, and I get to leave. Being part of the church is being what? A member of the body. This is why it says in 1 Corinthians 12, if one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. It's because what? We're so tied together in relationship and in mission. Today, if you want to enter into hope and strength, it begins by being active in the church. I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, you have to say that, Right? You have to, your job is dependent upon having an active church. You have to say that. Yeah, I kind of do have to say that. Here's the reality, though the Bible says that. It doesn't say be active in church because it's important. It just says this the church is the body of Christ. And if you want Jesus to be active in the world, look back and say, where's the church active? Because where the church is active, That's where Jesus is active. Today, we can step into strength. We can step into hope when we remember what we have, our glorious inheritance. We can step into strength and hope when we can remember that Jesus, we have got victory over evil and death. We can step into strength and hope today when we remember who we are. We are the body of Christ. So what does all this mean? Let's break it down really simple. If we want to experience this hope and strength that the Apostle Paul is praying for, it begins with this. It begins with acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the authority in all things. This is it. We cannot have the hope and the strength that the Apostle Paul prays for without an acknowledgement that Jesus is the authority of all things. That's where the prayer ends. Look at verses 21 through 23. 20 through 23, I'm sorry. Verses 20 through 23, he finishes the prayer at the end of verse 19, then twenty. He just goes in and says, that power that I'm talking about, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then it just goes on to describe that Jesus has authority over everything. If we want to experience what the Apostle Paul prayed for, we've got to acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus is what got Jesus a crowd at the temple, and it's also what put Jesus on the cross. This is critical to understand. The authority of Jesus is what put Jesus on the cross and also gathered him a crowd at the temple. Mark chapter 1, I encourage you to go back and look at it later. Mark 1, verse 22, is talking about Jesus in the temple. And it says, everybody came to hear him because he taught as one who had authority not like the scribes and the Pharisees. It says that in different places throughout the Gospels, he taught as one who had authority, and so it grabbed him a crowd. And then in Mark chapter 4, they're on this boat ride, and it's getting kind of crazy, and it's dangerous. And Jesus says, waves, be still. And it stops. And the disciples just say, whoa, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They recognize the authority. Of Jesus. There's something going on here. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, they go to the leader and say, Hey, you gotta get rid of this guy. They go to the Roman authorities, hey, you gotta get rid of this guy. Why? Well, he's claiming to forgive sins, which means he's claiming to be God, which means this. He's claiming to, claim to be more important than the emperor. So you better do something about it. The religious leaders were bothered by Jesus' authority. It's also the number one thing that bothers your heart and mine. Anybody here have control issues? Moment of honesty. Get your hand up if you've got control issues. I, oh, my wife's not in here. That's good. Um, (laughs) I love to drive. And usually I love to drive because I'm a pretty good driver. And uh, it is crazy. I go nuts when I have to ride with my wife driving. She's a, she's a pretty good driver. That's not the whole point. Don't take that from this, This though, because guess what? I'm not in control. So I'm like, oh, slow down. Put both hands on the wheel. What are you doing? It's, it's difficult for me to sit, actually, because he had no control over anything at all. So I have to drive. Here's the pro- I see other couples have that same issue. <laughs> guess what? It's pointing to a deeper issue in all of our hearts that we kick back against authority. This morning, maybe you've never connected the two. The reason that we don't have a lot of strength and a lot of hope is because we haven't acknowledged the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ that we have all that stuff that gives us hope and strength. And so today, if you want to pursue hope and strength, here's what we need to do, three simple things. Acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. Trust the authority of Jesus Christ and submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Here's what that looks like. I'm going to give you two practical examples as we close today. One in the personal individual life and one in the corporate church life. Acknowledge the authority of Jesus, trust the authority of Jesus, submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. In our individual life, every single one of us in this room, whether it be in a marriage relationship or whether it be in a relationship outside of marriage, have a point in time where something bad happens, right? Our spouse or in another relationship, someone does something to harm us, offend us, does something to wrong us. It happens in every marriage relationship. It happens in every relationship in general. Very functionally speaking, this is what it looks like. Acknowledge that Jesus has authority over your marriage. Marriage is not authorized by the American government. Marriage is not authorized by what my feelings say. Marriage is authorized by God. So the first thing you say is, you know what? You know who the boss in this marriage is? God is the boss in this marriage. Acknowledge it. And then I trust it. So what God says is actually good. So when God says this, when God says forgive one another as you've been forgiven, I trust that that's in my best interest. That's a big deal right there. That is a big deal because you don't act on something until you trust it. God, I trust that if I forgive my spouse right now, that's in my best interest. Or whatever relationship it is, I trust it's in my best interest. And then what do I do? I submit to it. I forgive my spouse. I don't hold it in. I don't let the grudge build a new wall. I release them from the emotional punishment. I release them from the relational difficulty that's taking place because Jesus told me to. That's what it looks like to live under the authority of Jesus Christ is I apply what Jesus says in my marriage, in my everyday life. That's what it looks like in the individual life to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Many of us struggle with that mightily. Now, the church If the church is the body of Christ and Jesus is the head, the whole point of saying Jesus is the head is this. All the authority comes from where? The head. The head gives direction to the whole body of what's going on. So if you want to have a church that has strength, you want to have a church that has hope, here's what it comes down to. Is Jesus the one who has authority? Is Jesus the one who has authority? So what does this practically look like? This is what it practically looks like when it comes to making any decision in the church. And I'm going to step on serious toes this morning. Find me a place in the Bible where they take a vote. You don't take a vote in a theocracy. You don't take a vote and determine, oh, this is what everybody wants. In the church, the vote is completely different. You take a vote to discern if this is what God wants. So very practically speaking, when you vote on any matter in the church, this is the question you're asking. Am I discerning this is what God wants us to do? And my vote is not I'm in favor of this or I'm against this. My vote is yes, I discern this is what God wants us to do or no, I believe believe we're not discerning correctly. There's a big difference. And so are we going to live under the authority of Jesus Christ? That when we make decisions, say, is this what we want the way we've always done it? Or are we going to say, are we discerning, this is what Jesus wants his body to be doing? Are you and I acknowledging, trusting, and submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ? That's where it starts. If we want to experience hope and strength In our individual life and in our corporate life. So, two questions for you and I to consider. Who is the authority in your life? Who is the authority in your life? Number two, who is the authority in this church? Who is the authority in this church? Logic? Pastor Rich? Culture, Jesus Christ is the authority in this church. Jesus Christ is the authority in your life and in mine. Today, let's begin to pursue hope and strength by acknowledging Jesus is above all and realizing everything that we have in him. He is our hope. He is our strength. And so as we close today, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to to just say a very simple prayer. Very simple prayer. Jesus, be my CEO this week. Jesus, be my CEO this week. I want to encourage you. Very simple. Pray that each morning this next week. Jesus, be my CEO this week. And then at the exact same time I want to encourage you to pray this Jesus be the CEO at King of Glory Jesus be the CEO at King of Glory let's pray Gracious God we come before you now thankful for the hope that you give us and the strength that you give us. We ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit you give each of us a desire to live under your authority. So we come before you now God asking Jesus, be our CEO this next week. God, we ask that you would make Jesus the CEO of this church. Give us hearts to discern, give us hearts to trust, and give us hearts to obey. We give you all of the praise, God, for you alone are worthy of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.